and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. So I am excited to welcome back Greg Marcus to the Path 11 podcast. And for those of you who maybe didn't get a chance to listen to the past episode that I did with him, it is episode 126. Uh, We recorded back in March of March 5th, 2018. And we talked to Greg about the spiritual practice of good actions. And we went through and uh, discussed his latest book, The Spiritual Practice of Good Actions, Finding Balance Through the Soul Traits of Musa. So I would like to welcome Greg back to the Path 11 podcast. Hi, Greg. Hi, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be back. Yeah, so I think it would be really great for our listeners, if they're clicking onto this and listening, they should probably press pause and go back to episode 126 to get a little bit of a background, because you um, are coming back on to really talk about a follow-up survey that you did, and we're going to be talking about the five faces of self-worth today, but I was thinking for those people who maybe don't have a lot of time to go back and listen to the full hour podcast, that maybe we can give them a little bit of a review of what the Musar is. Um, and give people a little bit of background history about how you did a follow-up survey and um, began to really see, uh, you know, um, a significant pattern uh, in the results that you got of different areas of people's life that fell into these five categories that we're going to talk about of self-worth. Sure. So, so first of all, Musar, it's a thousand-year-old Jewish spiritual mindfulness practice. And it teaches us how to find those things inside that cause us to get stuck in the same situation again and again. And it offers a path towards balance and healing by taking mindful action in everyday life. So we might look at a trait like uh, a soul trait like patience. And one of the features of Musar is having too little patience is just as bad as as having too much. So we sort of try to figure out where we are. And then to cultivate patience, maybe we'll we'll say a mantra, we'll do some journaling, and then we'll do some kind of real-life activity, like uh, I'm going to let every car emerge in front of me you know, to practice my patience. And by doing that, we both rewire the brain. Some people think we rewire the soul. But the end result is, is that we... Um, resolve some of these long, long-standing conflicts that, that get us in trouble. Right. And, and you have on your website, um, I know that you had a, a great response of people coming over uh, to your email list and people taking the soul trait profile quiz on your website. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a little quiz where it looks at 13 of these traits and you sort of figure out where you sit kind of from the too little to too much. And it gives you a nice graph, a little snapshot of of where you are. Well, after having this quiz up for a couple of years, there were about 5,000 people who had taken the quiz. And I was really curious, um, what is it that, that was holding them back? So I started to do a I did a survey. It was something called, it's a methodology called the ask method. And it has to do with asking a question and then looking at the free text answers that come back and creating like different categories. 
So the question I asked was, when it comes to being your best self, what is the single biggest internal struggle, problem, or frustration that you're dealing with? Please be as specific and detailed as possible. So I had about 270 answers, and some people wrote very detailed responses. And as I, I looked at them and the collaborators I was work, working with on the analysis, uh, we came up with um, we we came up with five different categories uh, of people. And interestingly, they all seem to relate to self worth. And of of the 250, did you do you have a breakdown of males versus females by any chance? Um, you know, that wasn't the question that we asked. Um, okay. we did we people did have an opportunity to leave their name. And so if I look if I kind of looked at that and eyeballed it, I would say it was maybe like 60, 70 percent female and 30, 40 percent male. Okay, great. And so what were those five categories that people uh, fell into? So they were some people, it was self-worth. Uh, it was unhealthy relationships, managing anger and frustration, dealing with old, overwhelm, or fear, just fear holding them back from, from being their, their best selves. And then I understand that you wanted to take a look at those categories and then also incorporate them into your Musar approach. Yeah, exactly. So the, the idea was like, okay, well, if that's what people are dealing with, then I could kind of speak more directly to them and start creating uh, some workshops and start creating some um, uh, just blog posts that sort of deal with those those type of issues uh, issues directly. And would you like to give some examples of each? So maybe our listeners, if our listeners fall into one of these five categories of what might be stopping them from becoming their best self and how your kind of practice here moves people through those areas, that might be really helpful. Yeah. So what I'm thinking might be helpful is to share like some, um, I've kind of put together some like compilations of what some of the answers that people gave. And then we can talk about like how Musar might, might help, um, help address them. How does that yeah, sound? That sounds wonderful. Great. So, uh, you know, for the people who talked about their self-worth, I really, first of all, want to congratulate them for kind of that that level of self-awareness. And even though this wasn't like a direct conversation and sometimes people gave their name, sometimes it didn't, you know, as someone who struggled with self-worth myself, sometimes it's, it's hard to make that admission to ourselves. And so if you're in that place where you're like, geez, you know, my self-worth is not where it should be, you know, that's, that's a good place to be because it gives you agency and a possibility to, to, um, to address it. So one, so, um, the type of answer that came in for this is is someone wrote, I would have to say that my biggest struggle is believing that I am allowed to actually be my best self, to let myself shine in a better space that is also allowing others to be their best without feeling competition or better or less than. In those situations, I tend to simply wither and turn invisible. The frustration tends to originate from the fear of claiming too much space. Mm. So, yeah, so it's, um, you know, clearly you're someone who's, who's really trying to struggle with these issues. And this idea of 
claiming too much space that very is very reminiscent. This is probably someone who's familiar with with Musar practice, because the soul trait of humility is all about how much space do we claim in the world. It's not the Western definition of humility, where it's about being meek or self-effacing. It's about finding that right balance between meekness and arrogance. And we never want to be a, an arrogant person, but sometimes we do need to step up and, and to be heard. So um, what I would say, um, you know, in terms of claiming claiming space in this person or working on humility is to really practice that in non, non-threatening situations, you know, maybe with a friend or with a, uh, a spouse or with someone to practice asking for what you want a little bit more to just say, okay, I'm going to claim a little bit more space and I'm going to do it in this non-threatening way. And, that's the that's the whole Musar methodology. We don't go to the hardest case. We start from where we are and we start with some easier cases and gradually build up a virtuous virtuous cycle of change. Another practice to really think about is um, has to do with the soul trait of, of truth. And truth teaches us that there are really multiple perspectives of truth. Um, you know, you and I have a conversation and we each walk away with a different, um, you know, with some different ideas about what was said and what happened. And so to really think about like, what's the, what's the truth of this situation, you know, where you're feeling, um, you know, better or less than somebody else and feeling like you need to shrink back. And to realize the truth is that, you know, you have a soul, they have a soul, you're two human beings, your innate worth is the same, and to really feel comforted and, and secure in that way, and to use that to kind of tap into that, to gain a little bit of, of courage and reassurance in the situation. Mm. And and also just, you know, both parties recognizing that we're all doing the best we can with what we got. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And having that. Um, and yeah, what I love about that is it also kind of speaks to compassion. It's like, hey, you know, I'm not perfect. This other person's not perfect. Yeah, maybe I, I didn't do, you know, okay, they're a better trumpet player than me. Okay, well, I'm better at you know, understanding, you know, deeper meaning in books and movies than they are. I mean, that's just kind of the way the world works. We all have our, our talents and, and the more we can just get out of the comparison mode, I think the, the happier we'll be. Yeah. And the striking thing about what that writer wrote in um, that I find so profound is when they said that my biggest struggle is believing that I am allowed to actually be my best self. It's, you know, I, what I hear in that is, wow, I don't know if anybody ever gave me permission. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, again, that's a really profound thought to have about yourself. And it's, it's, you know, my heart is really open to people who feel like that. And to realize that, yeah, you know, we all, you know, we all inherently have that, that permission. But right. it, sometimes it doesn't feel like that. You know, maybe we got messages that like, hey, don't, don't be a show off or don't, you know, you know, hey, you know, 
your older brother is the one, is the smart one in the family and you just kind of do the dishes or whatever. And, you know, we've, many of us have gotten those kinds of messages and, um, yeah, when, when, I, when I think about the messages, even from my childhood, I always remember my grandmother saying, well, just do the best you can. And, you know, if I came home or if I was disappointed or maybe our sports team lost and she said, well, did you do the best you can? And I would always say yes. And that always stuck with me. But I don't think anyone ever she never asked me, but what is your best, <laughs> mm. you know, or really kind of poked me. You know, I don't know if I ever myself ever had anybody say, well, who do you think your best self is? I mean, you, you kind of, as you grow older, you tend to maybe ask yourself that question, but you're right. I think that we are, we kind of have some of that subconscious programming from our childhood of the messages that we got about self-esteem or society and, you know, uh, what does it mean to be our best selves? I wonder how many people actually question that or ask themselves, what does my best self really look like? I think that's such a, a fascinating question because um, I had never actually thought about it in that way either. I mean, to even ask the question to realize, hey, you have a best self and you have a not so best self and that we have good days and we have not good days and that we actually have the ability to move towards being more of our best selves. It's not about changing who we are. It's just about getting to a place um you know, where we're just living more authentically and living, you know, living is the best that we can do. Yeah. And that kind of goes nicely into um, maybe the next um, face of self-worth, which is relationships. I was, we were just recording another uh, podcast before you and um, they were giving an example about somebody who had been married five times and he had said to the person, well, you have to stop looking for the perfect relationship or the perfect partner and you have to be the perfect partner. That is so beautiful. I love that because it's very much along the lines of what we're seeing, because if we don't love ourselves, then how can we give love to somebody else? Exactly. And, um, so, and, and sometimes, and I'm, perhaps this was the case and that, that other person who was married five times, that never even occurred to them that the issue was a self-worth issue and was trying to find something from other people to kind of fill a hole that was, that was inside. And, um, one of the, the, people who, who wrote in about this, what they said was, um, I sometimes feel myself being depleted or used up and I've given the best of myself to others. And I can sometimes end up feeling taken for granted or unappreciated and undervalued. It can be exhausting to try to set limits and guidelines. It seems like people close to me know that's a struggle for me. And when I say that something's too much, they will just push me relentlessly to cave in. Mm. And, um, so, you know, again, when people are, you know, it is, it can be a struggle at times, especially if we're not feeling good about ourselves to set those boundaries. And it's almost like certain people get like the sixth sense or they smell blood in the water, or they smell weakness and they sort of say, oh, there's really, there's not a lot of conviction behind that. No. And if I really push, they will cook dinner tonight or they will work on these, this slide presentation and get it back to me by tomorrow, even though, you know, I didn't ask for it till five o'clock in the, in the afternoon. 
Yeah. And, and that's one of the things, you know, when you give that example, I hear loud and clear, uh, it's, you know, it does feel like that there's some boundaries going on there. But um, I also get a sense when you read that quote, and this kind of talks a little bit about maybe the way in which we love or give that sometimes it can be conditional. Because, you know, sometimes I feel like if you are feeling like you're being taken for granted or unappreciated or you're going above and beyond to help others, but then if you have to state that you're going above and beyond to help others and you're feeling unappreciated, to me that feels like you're giving from a place where you're there's an expectation of receiving back or wanting people to behave in, in the way in which you give to others and feeling very disappointed with an expectation that well, you know, I give and give and give, and this person just takes and takes and takes. So that seems a little conditional to me. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And I guess I, I think it depends a lot on like which sort of relationship you're in. Like if you're in, you know, like if it's sort of a more intimate relationship with like a, a spouse or a life partner type of person, then we would want to be in a relationship where we can give unconditionally and we're also going to receive, you know, if we're a parent, we're not going to get back what we give from the kid as someone who has, you know, learned some painful lessons about that, you know, where it's an uh, unreciprocal uh, relationship. And then at work, we can really get taken advantage of because sometimes we might think that, oh, this is a really close friendship. And of course, they're going to reciprocate. And that's just not the way it works in the workplace sometimes. So we don't know the context that this person is, is talking about. But whichever one it is, is at the end of the day, we need to own our own place in that relationship and becoming, you know, the more we can come at it from a place of calmness and self-assurance and self-love then we'll have more to give and, and more ability to set boundaries if we need to do that. Right. And maybe even feel less disappointed or like you said, less drained. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Cause it's the, the, the disappointment is the hard part. Like that's, that's where there's been this misaligned expectation. Um, Right. And which uh, soul traits do you recommend for that if, if this is where people are struggling? Yeah. So um, the soul trait of honor is about honoring the, the divine spark in everyone. Or if you're not sure about divine sparks, just honoring the basic humanity of each person. And sometimes if we're, we're giving too much honor to other people, that we're not saving enough, that we can put ourselves in a place where we start feeling disadvantaged. So um, what we can do to, you know, as a practice, if we feel like we're giving too much honor to others or being too obsequious, is we can start like saying no and offering alternate solutions. So sometimes if we kind of get into this place where we're feeling taken advantage of, and it's like, no, the heck with you, I'm not going to do it. Whereas if we say no and offer a solution, it's like, hey, no, I'm sorry, it is um, you know, it's eight 30 at night. You're calling me to ask for something at the last minute. I can't give this to you now, but I can't give it to you at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. Um, or, Hey, um, no, I can't stop what I'm doing right now and go get this thing for you. But if you look in the third drawer in the desk, you'll find the file that, that you need. Mm hmm. <laughs> Good examples there. And, um, and how about managing emotion? Let's move, let's keep moving on. You know, often like 
when we're dealing with uh, frustration and anger, um, it can be this feeling that, um, you know, I'm not getting what I want or my needs are not getting taken care of. And when that happens, um, yeah, we just, we just react. Like this person said, I jump to frustration or anger very quickly. Sometimes it seems out of my control. That's just where I go first. I know I have several triggers that make this happen, and I would like to manage my reactions instead of jumping to a negative one. Well, Rabbi Pear said that one of the things that Musar can help us do is to kind of create more space between the, the match and the fuse. And an obvious place to start um, is by practicing patience. And there's a, a patience mantra, which is that this too shall pass, and I have the strength to get by until it does. Now, if we're in those triggered situations, that's not going to help because we're, we're getting triggered. But if we can create situations like, you know, I'm going to pick a longer line in the grocery store, and I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to say my mantra, it really does help. Um, it really does help create a habit of pausing and waiting when these triggering situations come up. Yeah. And as a therapist, what I sometimes, um, you know, I play with my clients a little bit when that burst of anger comes in and I usually, uh, encourage them to ask themselves, how old are you acting in that moment? Uh, and sometimes they'll recognize that it really is more of an inner child issue. At least that that's what I've, I've come to see sometimes that when we are getting really angry or frustrated, it can tend to be that inner child within us that maybe has not yet been healed or is having a little bit of a tantrum or is feeling very scared, um, and needs maybe control. And that can sometimes make people laugh and <laughs> they're like, okay, uh, yeah, I was probably acting about five years old and, you know, so, so you and I were kind of talking in like the same language and same idea with some different techniques. And, um, you know, I too will work sometimes to coach my clients to be less of that reactor and more of an observer. And just like you said, practicing to take note of when that reactor or that inner child or that anger and that frustration comes up to be able to recognize it for what it is. And like you said, not, um, not kind of like igniting that fire and that match instantaneously, but kind of soothing that anger or that inner child that feels scared and saying, okay, you don't need to react right now. Let's just, uh, let's step back. And like you said, it's great to count to 10 and take a deep breath, but not all people do that that's in reality. Right. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked, I, I love that, um, that idea of, of being an observer. And it, it, it brings to mind another Mozart practice, which also has to do with honor. Um, but this time it's finding ways to give more honor to other people. So if there's like a person, a certain person that triggers you, what you might do is in a calm moment, sit down and write down everything good about that person. Now, even if they annoy the heck out of you, really try to find good things to say about them. And that can help you connect, see them as more of a human being that has good points and not so good points. And understanding that and recognizing the humanity in the other person can give you just a little bit of a pause. It's like, even if like, wow, they really keep their car clean. You know, it's like, okay, well, that's someone who, you know, takes care of their things. 
Um, and the, even just small things like that can make a difference and help help short circuit that that kind of train wreck that can happen really quickly when we get triggered. Yeah, I agree. And and even if we're very angry or there's a person, you know, that we are just not jiving with or we have uh, extreme personality differences, I also sometimes uh, say to my clients too, but there's somebody in the world that really loves that person that you mm-hmm. don't like, <laughs> you know, so they are lovable and there are, they do have friends and they do have family members who truly love them. And sometimes when we get locked in and we just can't see that about another human being, that that is also too, where that compassion can kind of come in. Um, and like you said, seeing them as more of a divine being that even though they might be really pissing you off and making you very angry, that there's still some good things about this person. And there are people who are on the planet and do care care about them and love them. Yeah, I, I like that. And I have to say, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about some people who I really have not liked in the past. And I find myself cringing a little bit. It's like, really? Somebody loves that person? So it's like, it's not like these are, are natural or even easy things to do, especially if it's that one person who who pisses you off the most. Uh, but again, to, to take the time and to make that investment, okay, when I'm when I'm home, when they haven't triggered me in the last couple of days, to really invest some time proactively um, in in these kinds of you know framings or in a safe place, like when talking with a therapist or somebody like that, I could just see how that could be so powerful and transforming. I mean, how great would your life be if you didn't blow up every time you dealt with that person at work who made you mad? I mean, that's a huge improvement in our life and a little investment and a practice ahead of time can have a huge payoff in our quality of life. Right. And I'm sure some people listening are probably like, okay, the last thing I want to do in my free time when I'm feeling good and happy is think about the person (laughs) that I don't really like. But that is where I feel like soul development, spirituality, and like evolving your consciousness comes into play. That's where the work is. That's right. That's right. It's so well said. Yeah, there is there is some work here and it is, it is a growth and these changes can be, I found they're, they're slowly and happen over time, but sometimes a really small change can have a huge impact uh, on your life. And it's just, you know, if we're not here to kind of grow and become better people and become our better selves, then why are we here? Right. Now I know um, one of the other categories that people felt fell into was uh, dealing with feeling really overwhelmed. And I bet everybody listening can, um, you know, just really appreciate that because we live in a pretty tough society right now where things feel pretty stressful all the time and people have so many different responsibilities and, you know, feeling like, okay, well, this is what it would take to be my best self. But wait a second, I have like a, a things to do list of 25 things. Like, how could I be my best self when I'm just trying to live out these tasks on a day-to-day basis? I don't have time to pursue my passion of writing or my passion of singing. So how do we deal with um, looking at people who are feeling extremely overwhelmed and that's their block to get to their best self? Yeah. So one of the um, one of the things I really love about Musar is that the the soul traits that we can work on there's there's all kinds of different ones. Like we talked about patience and humility, but one of them is order. And there's a saying in uh, this text called uh, the ethics of our 
fathers or ethics of our ancestors, which says first things first and last things later. And the idea is that's really about priorities. And it's like, okay, I have 10 things on my to-do list. I can't do all 10 at the same time. If I try to do all 10, I become like that peanut butter that gets spread too thin over the piece of bread. And I don't have like any kind of, I don't have a quality sandwich anymore. Um, so, um, and when I work with um, my coaching clients, one of the things we often do is we say, okay, what's your top three exercise? Uh, what's your top three priorities? And I used to do this when I was in the corporate world and I had too much to do. I'd write down everything. I'd put it in priority order and I would draw a line under the third one on the list. And then I'd go to my manager and I'd say, okay, this is everything I have. These are the top three. Do you agree? Okay, we agree. We shuffle things around. And then things below number three, I did not do. Somebody said, hey, can you do number five? I can do it next week. I can't do it today. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's one way to kind of get out of out of overwhelm. And that can be true in our, our work life, our home life, um, uh, our relationships, um, you know, et cetera. Yeah. And I think creating that top three of order um, is is really important because, like you said, so many people can get so overwhelmed by all these different tasks. But if you really every morning wake up and decide, you know, what are the three most important things that have to get done today? And if they're not, everything else is going to fall apart. But I think if we really take a look at the top three and then, hey, if we get four and five done, great. But if you just set it to those top three, it makes the day feel much more manageable. That's right. And, um, and this also relates to self-worth because if we're not feeling confident about who we are, then we don't feel like capable. It's kind of like when we were talking about, geez, can I have a best self? Oh, am I allowed to set priorities for my own time? Um, am I allowed to schedule in self-care as one of my top three things? Well, absolutely. We have to. Um, if, uh, you know, it's like they say in the plane, if you, do, you know, put on your oxygen mask before helping someone else, if you're not investing the time to make sure that you're physically healthy and mentally healthy, then um, it's easier to get overwhelmed by, by things. Yeah, I remember somebody once telling me too that, you know, kind of their task list, like they love to make lists, but it was almost reinforcing um, their low self-worth of not feeling successful and feeling more of a failure because they would have like about 15 things that they were goal-oriented and really wanted to accomplish. But in a day, uh, you know, without anything just popping up, it would probably be pretty impossible. And I don't know if there were enough hours in this person's day to actually finish all 15, even if you were your most productive self. So I remember we were talking about breaking that down, similar to what you're saying, and what are the most important top three things to do, because then that in itself is building that confidence. It's making you feel successful. It's not reinforcing failure. It's not making you feel like, oh, look at what I did not get done. It's more like, oh, wow, I did. I I was accomplished today. So sometimes our lists can almost um, sabotage ourselves or keep us in that pattern of reinforcing that failure that we might be feeling of not completing everything on time. Yeah, that's reminding me that, um, you know, I am also a recovering workaholic and I used to work 90 hours a week and I would have, sometimes I'd have lists, sometimes I didn't, 
but all of that work was was a way to kind of avoid looking inside and it was a way to try to find that kind of fulfillment and i kept thinking okay if i could just get these other things done then people would notice me or i would feel better i would feel successful and um, that's that's not an answer it doesn't it only makes things worse it doesn't make things better so uh, I, I totally hear what you're saying yeah it totally makes sense yeah. And then the other category that people fell into, which is, I, I would think probably one of the biggest is fear, fear, holding people back to being their best self. And fear is a showstopper for sure. Yeah, fear is a showstopper for so many people. And it's interesting in my own journey, I just realized that um in the last few months that I actually carried around a lot of fear, but I never processed it in, in that way that, um, you know, it, I sort of knew, okay, I have some self-worth issues I'm, I'm working on, but I didn't realize how tied that was to, to fears and that things were, that were, you know, I would think oh, I'm not confident enough to do this. Well, that's because I was afraid of what somebody was going to think of what I did. And so often when we get into that fear place, we stop ourselves. We don't speak up because we think we're going to say the wrong thing or we want so badly to be liked that we'll try to dress in a certain way, which then isn't our authentic self. And then we find that we're not comfortable and connecting in the way that we could. So one thing that, um, that I suggest for people is to practice trust. Now, this is a challenge because trust stands for trust in the divine. And so not everybody is comfortable with the divinity or not everyone's had a life experience, which which would say to them, oh, yeah, well, things generally work out. And I've had all these bad things that have happened to me. And so how can I trust that things are going to work out? But I guess what I would counter that with is a, is a saying from Mark Twain, who who wrote that, some of the worst things that I ever experienced actually happened to me. Mm, can you repeat that again? Yes. Yeah, some of the worst things I ever experienced actually happened. Mm-hmm. And what I think he was saying is we create, like we create all the suffering in our head. Oh my God, this is going to happen and that's going to happen and that's going to happen. And then it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Like the person doesn't laugh at our, at our joke or the, the person actually laughs at the joke. <laughs> And that they don't make fun of you or they, they like the clothes you're wearing. And so all of this worry um, was, really, uh, was really misplaced. And so if we can get into a, a place where we can just realize that we can't control the outcomes, we can't predict outcomes, we don't know how things are going to turn out, and we just need to trust ourselves and trust the universe that things are going to work out. Um, it can really take off some of that pressure and that need to be kind of perfect about everything before we move forward. Yeah, that reminds me of um, some of what I've read in A Course in Miracles, and it might have been from a lecture from Marianne uh, Williamson or a book from Gabriella Bernstein, but the premise in A Course in Miracles says that, you know, fear is an illusion, and they prompted it with the question, now think back to all of the things that you've ever worried about, were anxious about in your lifetime. And now ask yourself, how many of those fearful thoughts actually came true? <laughs> exactly. Yep. 
Exactly. And again, this relates to, to self-esteem because when we're feeling good about ourselves, we're in a place of abundance. Um, gratitude is another great practice for dealing with fear. We, we list all of the things that we have in our life and that we can be grateful for and so many things that we've taken for granted that not everybody has and realizing that like the abundance we have, um, that can give us uh, a solid footing um, to help um, tamp down some of these fears that can come up. Yeah. So if people are interested maybe in taking that soul trait quiz that we talked about or finding more information about your blogs and all of the work that you're doing, can you let people know what your website is so they can uh, check out the great stuff that you have on there? Yeah, so my website is AmericanMusar.com. It's American, M-U-S-S-A-R. If you go to the website, then you can take the Soul Trait quiz. You can go over to the blog. And uh, each post has a very specific situation and a suggestion for a, a Musar practice that you can do to address it. All right. Well, Greg, this was a lot of fun. I really love when people like to come back and do a follow-up um, from what our original conversation was. So people who have been following you mm -hmm. from our past podcast, and again, for our listeners, that's episode 126. Uh, I just think it's great because sometimes, you know, we'll interview people and we have a great discussion, but sometimes we never get a chance to talk to them ever again, you know, because they're off and they're busy or it might be a few years. So it was nice to get you twice in one year. And I thank you for, um, you know, reaching back out to us and letting us know that you had some additional information that you wanted to share with our listeners. So thanks so much for doing all the work that you're doing. And as always, it's great to have you guest, have you as a guest on the Path Loving Podcast. Well, it was my pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for uh, having me back. And I loved continuing our conversation. If you want more information about our films, visit our website, path11productions.com, to purchase DVDs or to rent and stream each film. You can also find our trilogy of films on iTunes, Amazon Prime, and Gaia.com. You can still use our smartphone app for both Android and iPhones. Just search for Path 11 in the Google Play App Store, or if on an iPhone, look for Path 11 in the iOS App Store. Catch you next time.